Welcome to the last lecture, 23, part one. I'll see if I can get through everything I want to uh, in this lecture. So last time we talked about intrinsic factors affecting the arterial resistance, and by doing so, that will also then affect blood flow to a tissue. And we went over tissue met metabolic rate and how that affects uh, flow to a tissue through a process called active hyperemia. And that is important in controlling blood flow to a tissue so that the flow is adequate to meet the metabolic needs of the tissue. And the result of that is that the concentration of key metabolites within the interstitial fluid of the tissue are regulated about their respective set points. Then Temporary ischemia is, leads to uh, what's called reactive hyperemia, and this is important also in controlling flow to a tissue after the ischemia has been removed, and that's important in, again, bringing the concentration of key metabolites back to their set points that were altered because of the ischemia. Right? And those key metabolites are the concentrations of oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and adenosine within the interstitial fluid. Now, the last intrinsic factor affecting the arterioles is mediated through changes in mean arterial pressure, which leads to what's called the myogenic response. And let me explain how this works. If there is an increase in mean arterial pressure, then this increase in pressure is going to lead to an increase in blood flow to a tissue, right? As pressure goes up, flow to the tissue goes up. So here's our initial disturbance. Increase in pressure. And when blood flow to the tissue goes up, this can lead to overperfusion of the tissue. In other words, the blood flow is beyond what is required to meet the metabolic needs of the tissue. Now, the increase in pressure will also trigger an increase in the stretch of the arterioles, right? As pressure goes up in the pressure reservoir vessels, it's also going to increase in the downstream arterioles. And that increase in pressure is going to cause the wall of the arterioles to stretch. Now, some arterioles have smooth muscle cells that are sensitive to that increase in stretch and it leads to an increase in stretch of the smooth muscle within the arteriole, which triggers these cells to contract. So this causes actually an increase in contraction of the smooth muscle. This will trigger, then, vasoconstriction. It's going to decrease the radius 
and therefore increase the resistance of the arterioles. Now the effect that this will have, if you increase resistance, is it's going to oppose the increase in blood flow to the tissue that was caused by the original increase in pressure. In this way then, the contraction of the arterioles in response to the stretch of the arterioles serves to bring blood flow back towards normal despite a higher mean arterial pressure. And even though this effect is triggered by something outside of the tissue, right, an increase in mean arterial pressure, it's considered an intrinsic factor because the contraction, the contractile response of the arterioles to the higher pressure is intrinsic to the smooth muscle cells of the arterioles themselves. So therefore it's an intrinsic factor. So overall then, this effect is important, the myogenic response. Myogenic refers to uh, muscle, of muscle origin, right? And the muscle origin is the smooth muscle cells which inherently increase their contraction state when they are stretched. And this is important in maintaining a constant blood flow. flow to a tissue when mean arterial pressure changes. Now, as I said, this, this inherent ability of some smooth muscle cells to contract when stretched is only found in a couple of different arterioles. So this is Myogenic response is limited to the arterioles in the brain and the kidneys. So other types, arterioles and other tissues do not display this myogenic response. So those are the intrinsic factors. And let me bring in this figure. which illustrates all three of these. This is figure 1011 in the book. On page 347. Right, so it shows active hyperemia, reactive hyperemia, and the myogenic, what's called autoregulation of blood flow. All right, so those you can look at. All right, then these three different mechanisms are important in different ways in either adjusting blood flow to meet the metabolic needs of a tissue or adjusting blood flow after loss of blood flow due to some type of ischemia 
or making sure blood flow doesn't change if mean arterial pressure changes. Right, so functionally important for different reasons, but they're all referred to as intrinsic factors which uh, either help control blood flow or regulate blood flow if pressure changes. Now this leads us into our final discussion, which is on the extrinsic factors affecting the resistance of the arterioles. And we're going to talk about this in the context of why it's important, and that is in the regulation of mean arterial pressure. Now, when we talk about regulation of mean arterial pressure, the extrinsic factors that affect the arterioles is only one component of that. We will therefore talk about multiple different components which contribute to the regulation of mean pressure, one of which is the resistance of the arterioles. To do this, then, we are going to take our simple flow equals pressure divided by resistance equation, and we're going to rearrange this to focus on the pressure terms, because what we're interested in is the regulation of pressure. So now, if we rearrange this, pressure is flow times resistance. At the body system level, we're going to view this equation at the body system level of organization. In other words, looking at the cardiovascular system as a whole. The important pressure that's regulated is mean arterial pressure. Now, the flow within the cardiovascular system that's basically driving all blood flows around the cardiovascular system is cardiac output. So the flow that's going to be important here is cardiac output. The resistance within the cardiovascular system as a whole is what's called total peripheral resistance. Or TPR for short. Total peripheral resistance simply represents the sum of all resistances in the cardiovascular system, right? All resistances that are hindering blood flow around the cardiovascular system. Now, the majority of TPR, majority contribution to TPR is through the high-resistance arterioles. The sum of the resistance of the arterioles in all systemic tissues. Okay. 
Now, before I go further on this, let me just highlight the fact that uh, there are actually three different equations that I've now given you on mean arterial pressure. I, I talked about the fact that MAP is equal to two-thirds diastolic pressure plus one-third systolic pressure. That's one equation. I said that mean arterial pressure can be a function of volume of blood contained within the pressure reservoir vessels divided by the compliance of those vessels. And now we have a third equation, MAP equals cardiac output times total peripheral resistance. So three different ways to view uh, how mean arterial pressure is determined. Now, this first equation here is just a way, this is just a way to estimate mean arterial pressure from measurements of systolic pressure and diastolic pressure, right, using a blood pressure cuff. So it's just a practical way to estimate mean arterial pressure. That equation doesn't tell you anything about the determinants of mean arterial pressure or how it ultimately is regulated. Just a practical way to, to estimate what mean arterial pressure is. The second equation really highlights the physical determinants of mean arterial pressure. Right, the volume of blood contained within those vessels, as well as the compliance of the wall of those vessels. But even that equation doesn't tell you, inform you about how mean arterial pressure is regulated. The third equation then is really telling us how effector tissue activities affect mean arterial pressure, right? Cardiac output is a reflection of the activity of the heart. Total peripheral resistance is really a measure of the activity of all the arterioles within the cardiovascular system. Right, so this is a reflection of the activity of the heart. And really, TPR is a reflection of the collective activities of all the arterioles in the systemic circulation. Now, it turns out that, as hopefully you'll see, when one or both of these activities change, the heart and the arterioles, those changes can lead to a change in one of the components in equation number two. And that is, if, if either cardiac output or TPR change, 
then that's going to lead to a change in the volume of blood within the pressure reservoir vessels, right? Because changes in TPR or cardiac output will affect the inflow and outflow of blood from the pressure reservoir vessels. And if the inflow and the outflow of blood is not, if they are not equal, then that's going to affect the volume of blood within the pressure reservoir vessels. So there is a relationship between equation three and equation two. All right, so let's get into this a little bit more. Let me rewrite this equation. Mean arterial pressure equals cardiac output times total peripheral resistance. At the body system level, it is important that mean arterial pressure is regulated. It's kept constant. Now, when cardiac output occurs, that cardiac output gets distributed among all these systemic tissues. So we can write some individual flows or consider some individual flows to different tissues in the systemic circulation. For example, there's blood flow to the intestines, right? That'd be one flow. Blood flow to the skin would be another. Flow to the kidneys. Flow to the brain. I'm not, but you know, we could add others, but that cardiac output is distributed to these individual flows. We can also do the same thing for total peripheral resistance. So we can distribute TPR as the sum of the individual resistances of the arterioles in the different tissues. And I will just use the same tissues as what we have for the flows. So resistance of the arterioles in the brain, resistance of the arterioles in the kidneys, in the skin, and in the intestines, just to name a few. Now, when we consider the individual resistances within a given tissue, along with the individual flow within a tissue, we are then looking at the or organ level of organization. And at the organ level of organization, what's critical is that flow to a tissue is controlled so that it meets the metabolic needs of the tissue.
And this is accomplished by the process of active hyperemia. Right, that's an important intrinsic regulatory system that helps regulate the metabolites within each tissue about their set point. At the organ level then, remember flow to a tissue is equal to mean arterial pressure divided by the resistance of the arterioles within the tissue. Right, that's what each of these terms over here reflects. And the resistance of these arterioles is affected by the concentration of key metabolites within the interstitial fluid of the tissue. This would be the oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and adenosine. Okay. Now consider that these local active hyperemia mechanisms, which are widespread, they're going to occur in every tissue as tissue metabolic rate changes. But consider the impact that that's going to have at the cardiovascular system, at the body system level. And let's just take an example here. Let's suppose that uh, there's an increase in brain metabolism. So you sit down to study for the final exam. Uh, that uses a lot of mental energy, and the brain becomes very active as you are studying, and that activity leads to greater metabolic rate within the brain. That will trigger then active hyperemia. So let's suppose that we have active hyperemia occurring specifically within the brain as you study. The effect that this will have is to cause vasodilation of the arterial, arterioles in the brain to decrease the resistance of the arterioles in the brain. And as a result of that, right, that's going to lead to an increase in blood flow to the brain because of this principle here. And that's all well and good, but the issue becomes when the resistance of the arterioles in a tissue decreases, that is also going to have an impact on total peripheral resistance. So TPR, because it's the sum of, of all resistances, a drop in the resistances in one tissue is going to also decrease total peripheral resistance. And if TPR decreases, then that will cause a drop in mean arterial pressure. All right. So let me write this down here. If uh, active hyperemia occurs in a tissue, causes a decrease in the resistance of the arterioles, So this is in a tissue, in the tissue, 
That is going to do two things. We said it's going to increase blood flow to a tissue, which is good, but it's also going to cause, at, at the cardiovascular system level, right, this would be at the organ level, that's the benefit. The bad thing is it's going to cause a decrease in total peripheral resistance. And this is at the systemic or um, body system level. And if there's a decrease in TPR, then that's going to de decrease mean arterial pressure. Now, Think about what, what, what would happen when this occurs. If mean arterial pressure decreases, this is going to cause a decrease in blood flow. And I'm going to specifically write this out. To all systemic tissues. Right? Because all tissues rely on mean arterial pressure to drive their blood flow. So if that pressure goes down, then flow to every tissue will be compromised to a certain extent. So that is uh, the bad part of local vasodilation of arterioles within a tissue, is that it's going to adversely affect the function of the cardiovascular system by altering mean arterial pressure. So there are two competing interests here, right? On the one hand, the resistance of the arterioles has to be low enough So that blood flow to a tissue is adequate to meet the metabolic needs of the tissue. But on the other hand, which is a completely opposite antagonistic effect, the collective resistance of all arterioles in the cardiovascular system has to be high enough to maintain total peripheral resistance to help regulate mean arterial pressure. And there is a very delicate balance the body achieves to ensure that both of these competing interests are met. And that's the trick to understanding uh, what happens at the organ level of organization in controlling flow to what happens at the body system level to regulate pressure, mean arterial pressure. And just to give you an extreme illustration of how important total peripheral resistance is to regulating mean arterial 
pressure. So there's a medical condition, which is referred to as circulatory shock. This refers to when there is a very widespread arterial vasodilation in multiple tissues. That's what I mean by widespread in many systemic tissues. This can be caused by uh, either uh, an allergic reaction, so severe allergies, or severe infections. And when this causes widespread vasodilation, it causes a massive drop in total peripheral resistance, which then causes a massive drop in mean arterial pressure. And pressure can fall so low that all systemic tissues are receiving uh, inadequate blood flow. And it's a, a life-endangering situation. So that just illustrates the importance of how TPR is crucial in helping regulate mean arterial pressure. Now, let me mention that this equation, mean arterial pressure is cardiac output times TPR, is discussed on page 349 in the book. All right, so you can find that there. So in terms of regulation of mean arterial pressure then, this occurs on two different time scales. There's what's called acute regulation, which occurs over a period of seconds to minutes. And this acute regulation is what we are going to focus on, and it's going to involve autonomic activity to the heart, to the systemic veins, to the adrenal glands, and to the arterioles. And so as we talk about the regulation of mean arterial pressure, just keep in mind the uh, autonomic activity and the changes to that, to the arterioles, is what we refer to as the extrinsic factors affecting the resistance of the arterioles in helping to regulate mean arterial pressure. And this is in multiple tissues. And by doing so, this um, helps 
maintain total peripheral resistance, TPR. Okay. So we're going to go through this in a little bit more detail. Uh, the second means of regulation is what's referred to as the chronic regulation of mean arterial pressure. This regulation occurs over hours, a period of hours to days. Right, so it's a much more slow, um, sustained regulation. Chronic regulation, as you learned in the online lab, is involves um, regulation of your total blood volume, right? And that effectively regulates or reflects regulation of total water volume within the body, particularly within the extracellular fluid. Regulation of blood volume, uh, instead, it doesn't involve so much the autonomic activity, but more importantly, this involves the endocrine system, the release of critical hormones, and the kidneys as the effector tissue, right? Which determines the rate at which water is excreted or lost from the body to help regulate your total blood volume. So we don't have time to get into the chronic regulation. So the focus for the rest of our discussion in this lecture is going to be on the acute regulation of mean arterial pressure. Let me start this off just by talking about acute changes in mean arterial pressure. What can cause acute changes? First is uh, acute changes can occur because of rapid changes in venous return. And if venous return changes, this will change in diastolic volume and lead to a change in stroke volume. And if stroke volume changes, then that leads to a change in cardiac output and therefore a change in mean arterial pressure. How can venous return chains change? Well, really, it can occur because of rapid changes in posture. That leads to gravitational effects on um, pressure within the veins, which then affects venous return. And secondly, it can occur by... increased gravitational forces. That um, does not involve rapid changes in posture. 
And this is particularly notable for, uh, in the military, for fighter pilots that undergo extreme maneuvers as they uh, go through these different, um, you know, air maneuvers. Uh, it can lead to very high excessive gravitational forces that can uh, lead a fighter pilot to pass out if they're not careful. So changes in posture or exposure to high gravitational forces can affect venous return. Now, it, you can also um, get a change in venous return through prolonged standing in one position without movement. Second main way, which I've already highlighted, is through changes in total peripheral resistance, which can be brought about because of active hyperemia, can be brought about by, as I said, uh, severe allergies leading to vasodilation or uh, severe infections. can also be brought about by um, acute stress as well as temperature regulation. Right, when your body is regulating its temperature, part of that regulation involves changes in the resistance of the arterioles in the skin, which then will affect total peripheral resistance. And a third way that can lead to acute changes in pressure are through rapid blood loss and what's referred to as hemorrhage. I always misspell this. Right, if you rapidly lose uh, blood, then your total blood volume decreases, therefore arterial pressure is going to fall. For all these reasons, then, it's important that if these acute changes in either venous return or total peripheral resistance or blood volume uh, occurs, that there is a mechanism to help minimize changes in, in mean arterial pressure. So what is this acute mechanism? So this is through what's known as the baroreceptor reflex. So this is reflex mechanism driving uh, acute regulation of pressure about its set point. And again, the effectors here are going to be the heart, the arterioles, the systemic veins, and the adrenal glands. 
All right, so this ends part one. In part two, we'll talk about the details of this reflex to end the course. All right, lecture 23, part two. I brought in here figure 1013 on page 351, which illustrates the factors affecting the resistance of the arterioles, and thus in turn, which affects total peripheral resistance. And if you notice in this figure, they're showing how there are local intrinsic factors which affect the arterioles, and then there are the extrinsic factors. So that's where I'm getting uh, these intrinsic and extrinsic factors. Intrinsic, then, we talked about the active hyperemia. That's down here, and notice that these down here are the major factors affecting the arterioles. So this refers to the active hyperemia. And, uh, I mean, you could also almost put in here that this would somewhat refer to the reactive hyperemia also. The myogenic response is over here in terms of controlling or auto-regulating blood flow. Uh, those are the two that we talked about. This one here on histamine release involving injuries and allergic responses would fall under the pathological factors that I referred to, severe allergy and infection, which Sherwood considers part of the intrinsic factors. I kind of listed those separately. And extrinsic control, which is now what we're on to in, in terms of the baroreceptor reflex, is involving changes in autonomic activity and specifically sympathetic activity because sympathetic neurons are the only neurons that innervate the arterioles and, and how that is, uh, contributes to helping to regulate total peripheral resistance. Now, I did say that there are some hormones that can also affect the contraction state of the arterioles and that's what Sherwood is listing over here, vasopressin and angiotensin. But we are also talking about, in, in terms of the baroreceptor re reflex, how sympathetic activity can trigger the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine from the adrenal glands, which is also part of the, this reflex to help um, affect total peripheral resistance. Okay, so the baroreceptor reflex then is detailed in section 10.6, starting on page 365 in the book. Now, Sherwood mentions on page 366 that there's long-term and short-term control or, or regulation of mean arterial pressure, which I already talked about. And she mostly here, again, focuses on the baroreceptor reflex starting on page 367. So why is this called the baroreceptor reflex? So re remember, a reflex involves a receptor, an afferent limb, an integrator, an efferent limb, and an effector. So let's talk about, about the receptor and the afferent limb. So the afferents that are monitoring 
uh, mean arterial pressure. These afferents are called baroreceptors. You can view them as, well, since they have their receptive endings in blood vessels, then they're going to be a type of visceral afferent, right? Now, where specifically are these receptive endings found? There are two strategic uh, blood vessels where baroreceptors are found. The first is in the aortic arch, right? That's where the aorta makes a U-turn as it comes uh, off the left ventricle and then goes below the level of the heart. So there, there's a cluster located there. And there's also another cluster located at the carotid sinus. The carotid sinus, that's the point where the carotid artery branches into an, ex into an internal and an external carotid artery. And at that branch, there's the, I think the internal carotid artery has a swelling to it. And that swell, that enlarged area of the carotid artery is called the carotid sinus. Now, these are two strategic locations because remember the carotid artery is what supplies blood to the head, particularly the brain. So the baroreceptors in the carotid are basically monitoring mean arterial pressure that drives blood flow to the brain. And in the aortic arch, if you think about this, I mean, the aorta branches off to supply blood to virtually all systemic tissues. as it uh, goes below the level of the heart. So by the placement of the baroreceptors at these two key locations, they can monitor the mean arterial pressure that is driving blood flow to all systemic tissues. Now, the characteristic of these afferents as I said, these are visceral afferents. And their receptive endings are mechanically sensitive. So they are a type of mechanoreceptor. Their characteristic then is if there is an increase in mean arterial pressure, this leads to an increase in stretch of the arterial wall. And that mecha mechanical force, that increase in stretch, leads to an increase in the um, receptor potential in the baroreceptors, which is going to lead to an increase in the action potential frequency in the baroreceptors. And correspondingly, right, if there's a decrease in mean arterial pressure, this leads to a decrease in 
arterial wall stretch. And so a decrease in action potential frequency in the baroreceptors. So in this way, they are monitoring changes in pressure, mean arterial pressure. So when these baroreceptors signal changes in mean arterial pressure, where do they go? Where do these afferents send information about pressure? The carotid sinus baroreceptors. So these send information about pressure to the brainstem, into the brainstem through the ninth cranial nerve. The aortic arch they're sending information to the same area in the brainstem but through a different nerve. And that nerve is the tenth cranial nerve. which, remember, the 10th cranial nerve is the vagus nerve. And I'll bring in a figure here from the book. Which shows the location of these receptive endings. Right, so this is figure 1030 on page 367, showing the location of the carotid sinus baroreceptors at the junction where the internal and external carotids split from the main carotid artery. Right Here's the common carotid artery here, supplying blood to the head. The aortic arch, right, that's where the aorta makes this U-turn here, and baroreceptors are found within that arch. And right here, they're highlighting that these action potentials are being sent into the brainstem through uh, the cranial nerves 9 and 10. Cranial nerve 9 for the carotid sinus and cranial nerve 10 for the aortic arch baroreceptors. Now, that then tells us what the information about the, uh, or characteristics about the afferents which trigger this reflex. Now let's look at the site of integration. Obviously, the integrator is the brainstem, but we can be more specific. There is an area of the brainstem, which uh, Sherwood in the book calls the cardiovascular 
control center nucleus. Remember, a nucleus is a discrete cluster, functional cluster of neuronal cell bodies within the brain. Now, more technically, this cardiovascular control center nucleus is uh, scientifically known as the nucleus of the solitary tract within the brainstem. And this is abbreviated as the NTS. So the nucleus of the solitary tract, just another more technical name for the cardiovascular control center. So the baroreceptors then are communicating with these cardiovascular control center neurons. And I'll, I'm going to abbreviate this. Um, since she talks mostly about cardiovascular control center as opposed to NTS, I'll abbreviate this as the CCC nucleus. All right, so there's synaptic, uh, there's synaptic communication occurring between these afferents and these cardiovascular control center neurons. And this communication is excitatory. What happens then with an increase in mean arterial pressure, this leads to increased baroreceptor activity. which leads to an increase in cardiovascular control center neuron activity. Right, they become more depolarized. Whereas if there's a decrease in mean arterial pressure, then there's a decrease baroreceptor activity leading to less excitation of the cardiovascular control center neuron, neurons. Now, what do the cardiovascular control center neurons do? Um, I'm not going to get into the details about what specific neurons they communicate with, but the end result of uh, this input to the cardiovascular control center neurons is as follows, right? And this is where the integration takes place. When cardiovascular control center neuron activity increases, this leads to an increase in parasympathetic activity. To the heart. and it leads to a decrease in sympathetic activity to heart, to the arterioles, in multiple tissues, to the systemic veins, and to the adrenal glands.
right? This and this are the efferent limb, right? Constitute the, what's the efferent limb of this baroreceptor reflex. Here's our site of integration, the integrator. And then out here, right, all these are the effectors in this reflex. Now, correspondingly, right, when cardiovascular control center activity decreases because there's less excitation, then this results in an increase in parasympathetic activity. Again, to the heart, and a decrease, or sorry, an increase. I'm mixing myself up here. When cardiovascular control center activity decreases, this leads to a decrease in parasympathetic activity and an increase in sympathetic activity. And again, this is to the exact same effector tissues. So that's how the baroreceptor uh, inputs activities then integrated by these brainstem cardiovascular control center neurons to alter the efferent limb of this reflex. Now, the effect that this is going to have, if you think about this, oh, and by the way, I can bring in, let me bring in this figure here. All right, so this is figure 1031 on page 367, which shows the action potential frequency of the baroreceptors in response to changes in arterial pressure under normal conditions, higher arterial pressure or lower mean arterial pressure. Now, figures uh, 1032 and 1033 in the book show then the output response, which are these guys. So this is figure 1032 on page 368, which illustrates when parasympathetic or sympathetic stimulation occurs, that the effect that that stimulation on the heart or for the, in, for the parasympathetic or on the heart, the arterioles, as well as the veins end up having on um, the activities of these effector organs and then how that contributes to overall regulating the blood pressure out here.
so we can walk through this, right? And w one thing that's not shown in this figure is a sympathetic output to the adrenal glands. So that's something that's absent in this figure. But if we go back up here to this scenario where let's take scenario C where there is an increase in mean arterial pressure. Now the result of this is higher parasympathetic output to the heart and lower sympathetic output to the heart, the arterioles, and the veins. Now let's think about what effect that those changes in efferent activity will have. And this is illustrated down here. So if there's higher parasympathetic, higher parasympathetic stimulation to the heart, remember the main effect of higher parasympathetic activity on the SA node is right here, is decreasing heart rate. When heart rate goes down, it's going to decrease cardiac output, and that's going to tend to decrease blood pressure back towards normal, right? So this is a negative feedback loop. Mean arterial pressure goes up, that activates parasympathetic activity to the heart, cardiac output goes down, that tends to reduce blood pressure back towards its set point. Now, what's not shown on here is that not only does heart rate goes down, but there is a decrease in atrial contraction force, right? Because the parasympathetic neurons also innervate the atria. When that happens, that's going to decrease in diastolic volume, which will therefore, by, through the Frank-Starling law, decrease stroke volume. And that will also contribute to this decrease in cardiac output. All right, so the response here is to return mean arterial pressure towards its original set point. When the initial disturbance is for an increase in pressure. Now, along with that increased parasympathetic activity, there would be a decrease in sympathetic activity. With a decrease in sympathetic activity to the heart, right, that's going to slow heart rate. And in this figure, though, they are showing what would happen to all the tissues with an increase in sympathetic activity, right? Because higher sympathetic activity will increase heart rate. But if sympathetic activity is decreased, then that's also going to contribute to lowering heart rate. So if there's a decrease in sympathetic stimulation, this is going to decrease heart rate, which will decrease cardiac output. And it's also going to decrease the contractile strength of the heart through effects on the ventricles. So it's going to decrease uh, contractility, which will then decrease stroke volume, which will contribute to the decrease in cardiac output, along with the higher parasympathetic stimulation. And this will also contribute to 
returning mean arterial pressure towards the set point. And if sympathetic stimulation to the arterioles goes down, then opposite to what's shown here, it's going to cause vasodilation rather than vasoconstriction, right, which will contribute to a decrease in total peripheral resistance, which will contribute to, again, lowering mean arterial pressure, lowering mean arterial pressure. Decreased activity to the veins will cause less, a reduction in um, what Sherwood calls venoconstriction. So this is a decrease in venoconstriction. That will increase venous compliance and so decrease venous return. So here we would see a decrease in venous return, which will decrease end diastolic volume and thus decrease stroke volume, which also contributes to lowering cardiac output to help return MAP towards normal, right? So all the red that I've drawn here is what would happen if there is less sympathetic stimulation. Remember, what Sherwood is showing in this figure is how the effector tissue activity would change if there's greater sympathetic stimulation. Okay, and then there is, I'll bring in this figure. So this is figure 1033 on the same page. Page 368. All right, so it shows what happens if there is an, so this is the top scenario is where there's an increase in mean arterial pressure which is what's shown here, what the baroreceptor response would be. The bottom, right, this is part A, baroreceptor reflex response to elevated pressure. The bottom is baroreceptor reflex response to a fall in blood pressure. So here's the scenario where there's a decrease in mean arterial pressure. And showing the response to increase sympathetic activity with a lower mean arterial pressure and a decrease in parasympathetic activity right down here. And knowing that these changes in sympathetic and parasympathetic activity occur to these effector tissues, then you know what the output response will be and that is to increase cardiac output, to increase total peripheral resistance, to bring blood pressure back towards normal. So take a close look at figures 1032 and figures 1033. Right, and all of these coordinated 
efferent limb and effector activities are because of the integration of the baroreceptor information within the cardiovascular control center neurons in the brainstem. So they're coordinating these sympathetic, parasympathetic activities to increase cardiac output and increase total peripheral resistance when mean arterial pressure falls and to do the opposite when mean arterial pressure increases. All right, uh, the other thing here is that obviously when the, the adrenal glands release, remember the hormones, epinephrine, primarily epinephrine, but also norepinephrine. And if there is less sympathetic stimulation because of a higher mean arterial pressure, then there's less release of these hormones. And that will lead to reduced stimulation of the smooth muscles within the veins, right? So that's also going to contribute to this. And it's also going to lead to reduced stimulation of the arterioles as well as the heart. So remember, these hormones effectively augment what sympathetic stimulation does in the heart as well as the arterioles as well as the veins. So the changes in the levels of epinephrine and norepinephrine will uh, augment what is going on um, through changes in sympathetic activity. So all in all then, when you think about um, mean arterial pressure being the product of cardiac output and total peripheral resistance. We know that TPR is the sum of the resistance in the arterioles in different tissues. Here I'll just put tissue one tissue 2, I'll do one more, tissue 3. Right, these are all contributing to TPR. Cardiac output is the product of heart rate and stroke volume and we know that stroke volume depends on end diastolic volume and end diastolic volume is importantly determined by venous return right through the veins systemic veins. We know the 
atria contribute to active filling of the ventricles and in diastolic volume. So we know then that, and this is just a, basically a rehash of what I've already talked about, sympathetic activity to the ventricles affects stroke volume, sympathetic activity to the SA node affects heart rate, sympathetic activity to the atria affects the force of contraction of the atria, sympathetic activity to the veins affects venous return through affecting venous compliance, and then to the adrenal gland affects release of epinephrine and norepinephrine. Parasympathetic activity through the SA node also affects heart rate. Parasympathetic activity through innervation of the atria also affects atrial contraction force. Now, these activities, and actually let me do one other thing here. We also know then that sympathetic neurons innervate the arterioles in almost all systemic tissues. So this is sympathetic innervation of almost all systemic arterioles. The one exception, the one group of arterioles that are not innervated by sympathetic neurons are the brain arterioles. So they are not affected by sympathetic activity. But otherwise, all other arterioles are. And with increased sympathetic activity, again, through the release of norepinephrine, acting on same as the veins, the alpha-1 adrenergic receptors leads to stimulation. So we'll put positive sign here. It induces contraction of the arterioles, right, which together, if you sympathetic activity is high and stimulating contraction of the arterioles in multiple tissues, so I'm out of time. Uh, that's going to affect total peripheral resistance, TPR. And I will just end by saying that mean arterial pressure, right, is monitored by the baroreceptors in the carotid sinus and the aortic arch. And then that sends information up to the cardiovascular control center neurons in the brainstem. And these neurons then are going to, to determine the activity of these two systems. So determines the activity of
parasympathetic output to the heart. and sympathetic activity to the heart as well as right the veins as well as the adrenal glands and as well as the arterioles in multiple tissues and in that way then We've completed the reflex and we show how all these effector tissues then are going to serve to help regulate mean arterial pressure. All right, so that brings this course to an end. And I hope that this has been a useful introduction to understanding mechanisms by which different organs and body systems contribute to overall homeostasis, at least as far as we could get within this shortened semester.